tonight our scripture reading comes from John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Thanks, Kendi. Hi, my name is Brad. Nice to see you. This is tea. I got like a throat thing happening. I don't know how y'all drink this. It is gross. But whatever, we'll, we'll go, and it's in a weird cup because this is all Andrew had. So, yeah, anyway, well, we're going to put this down here, watch me kick it over, it'll be wonderful. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, would you mind praying with me and we'll get, we'll get rolling? Father, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for the work that you've already done in so many places, uh, in the other campuses and in many other churches today where people gathered for you. Lord, we ask that you would do one more here tonight in our midst, that your spirit would be present that we would be aware of its presence, most, uh, more importantly. And we ask this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Every Saturday morning, it, it was this. If I didn't have football or soccer practice, I didn't play football to high school, but if I didn't have soccer practice or baseball practice or a game or something, we'd all gather around the breakfast table. Dad would cook a killer breakfast. Really, mom cooked it. Dad would just do the eggs. Mom did everything else. Um, and, and we'd have breakfast, and then Dad would do this divvying up of chores, except they weren't chores. We didn't get paid for them. It was more like, this is what you're going to do to earn the right to live in this house. And so we would do, he would start going through all of these things we're going to do. There was this point of dis, this uh, discontention, I can't say that word tonight, between Mom and Dad when it came to the part about trimming the trees in, in the yard. Mom hated the way dad trimmed the trees because dad would go at it with a chainsaw and it would be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and these trees would just get totally obliterated. And they'd come back and he'd stand back and go, wow, they look great. And mom would go, they look terrible, you killed them. And they would go all the way, there'd be no more leaves, they'd just be a bunch of sticks. Dad was great at a lot of things. Trimming trees, dad was not too great at uh, and, and so there'd be this thing, and it was always this time of like, oh man, these trees are going to get just brutalized. And so there was always this little thing, trimming trees, uh-oh. But I think that's how we approach this passage. We think of vine, branches, remain. If you don't remain, you're going to get cut off and then collected and thrown to a fire. And we go, oh man, what is this passage about? But I think there's something in this passage that we always tend to miss. This passage isn't a doom and gloom passage. It's not telling you or, or that you're going to be cut off and thrown away. This passage was meant to give the disciples some hope. And I think we miss it. 
Because we look at it and, and, and we try to take it out of its context and make it something that it's not. But when we look at it closely within the breadth of Scripture, N.T. Wright calls it the river of Scripture. When you look at it in that regard or in that context, you can actually get a lot out of this passage. Tonight we're going to find those. And if there's a letter that this message is sponsored by, it's the letter C. Because I think there's three C's in this passage that can give us hope. There's a certainty. Uh, I, there's a calling, and then there's a confidence. But first, let's check out the context. If you have your Bibles, do any of you have your Bibles? Okay, open your phones. Go to John 15. Hold your finger there. John 15 is in the middle of a larger story that begins in John 13. In John 13, so for me, it's back two pages. If you have trouble getting there, it's on page 2097 in this Bible. Uh, but it starts in verse 13, or in chapter 13. Chapter 13, Jesus is doing something. He's washing the disciples' feet. The disciples are saying, no, 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 Peter says this, you can't wash me, and Jesus is cleansing them. The word cleanse pops up again in chapter, in chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, circle it. That word cleanse means something a little bit later. And then in chapter 13, it's the first time in the Gospel of John that we see a communion happening. They didn't call it communion, they called it supper. Uh, we called it the Last Supper, but they were having dinner together. Jesus took the bread and he said, this is like my body. We do this weekly here on Sunday nights, uh, once a month in the mornings. Uh, but he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, the cup, which is shed for you. And then he said, someone's going to betray me. This is all chapter 13. And then Peter and John try to figure it out. Who's the one? So they're looking around the room going, not it, not it, not it. Well, he's kind of a jerk. Maybe it's him. And so they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus says, guys, it's the person I'm handing this bread to. And he hands it to Judas. Now, there is this thing culturally in here that pops up in chapter 13. If someone were to hand you bread in those times and you took it and you ate it, it meant that you were bound to them. You guys were connected. Food was a life-giving source. And so we see Judas. He takes the bread. But notice with me, at the end of, of, of that night, Judas does not eat the bread. Judas goes away. He says, I'm not bound to you anymore. I'm not bound to this kingdom thing you're talking about. I'm going to go get 30 shekels of silver, and I'm going to sell you down the river, and it'll, that'll be that. Judas doesn't take it. And then... Chapter 14 comes along. All the disciples are kind of trying to figure out what happened to Judas. And then in chapter 14, Jesus comforts his disciples. So this is a comforting talk. This is not a doom and gloom talk. Chapter 14, Jesus tells them about what God is going to do with them through the Holy Spirit. He says, don't worry, someone's leaving. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 6, he promises them the Holy Spirit. In chapter 15, We'll come back to 15. After chapter 15, first, it, it's really amazing, it's chapter 16. Chapter 16, we see Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, a counselor, an advocate, a comforter, tells us the Holy, he says the Holy Spirit is going to be those to you. He is going to tell you uh, where you are righteous. He's going to tell you where you are broken, and he's going to tell you what you need and remind us all about who wins in the final end of the story. And then chapter 17, if you flip there, that is Jesus praying for his church, himself, and his disciples. Smack dab in the middle of it all is chapter 15. 
It's a comforting passage. It's meant to bring you hope in your times where you feel like everything's going against you. Scholars will believe that this time of, of between 13 and 17 is all one story and it begins in the upper room with Jesus doing communion and then ends in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in the meantime, Jesus is walking through a vineyard through the Kidron Valley trying to get to Gethsemane where he ultimately will pray until he bleeds from his head and be arrested. He's in a garden Jesus likes object lessons. And he goes, hey guys, you see this vine? You see this vineyard? I'm the vine. You guys are the branches. And my dad, God, is the gardener. Now, if, you tracking with me so far? If you were in that day, you knew what the vine stood for. The vine was a symbol, a nationalistic symbol for Israel. It meant something. When the vine was there, it meant fruitfulness. It meant blessing. In Isaiah, in Psalms 80, in Joel 3, Amos 9, you see the vine showing up. It's always Israel. When God comes and he brings judgment in the prophets, whenever there's restoration, it's always something later about vines producing fruit and the people drinking their own wine. It was blessing. It's what it meant for it. When the spies, uh, how many of you know the songs? 12, 12 men went to spy on Cain and 10 were bad and two were good? No? Okay, we'll get that on the list. That needs to be sung. It was a great song. So in Exodus, 12 men went to spy on Canaan when they were walking. We know the story. And they get there and they go, this is, this is a bad place. And they come back and, and then two of them said, so this is where you get the 10 were bad and two were good. 10 of them said, we can't do this. It's too much for us. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb go, nah, this is great. This is where God's leading us. Let's, let's go for it. But when they come out of the, of the, when they're done spying, they come out, they're carrying with them some things. And one of them is a vine with grapes. It meant something that the land that they were going into was full of fruit and blessing. This is what Israel took on as their symbol. If you were alive in that day, also none of you were, but when you were alive in that day, on top of King Herod's temple, it's the second temple. The first one was destroyed in one of the invasions of Babylon and Assyria. The second temple that Herod built sat on 30 acres. It was amazing. One of the ancient wonders of the world on top of it was a six-foot statue of grapes, solid gold. Jesus walking through a garden, and he says, I'm the vine. I'm the true Israel. You all are the branches. Jesus is telling us about him, about where he comes from, the nature of him. If we want to be fruitful, we have to be connected to him. He's comforting them. Judas just peaced out. Every, they're not one, everyone wants to arrest and kill Jesus. Jesus is talking about going away. And what does Jesus do? He comforts them. And in the middle of the comforting, there's always a certainty. There's a certainty in the middle of it all. Jesus says this in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 15. He cuts off every branch that does not bear fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it'll be even more fruitful. There's a certainty of pruning. We're all going to be pruned. We all need to be pruned. But he does this so that we would be even 
more fruitful. We cut things back so that we'll be even more fruitful. If you are ever awake at 3.45 in the morning like I often am, there's this thing you can search on YouTube called How to Prune Vines. It's very informative, especially when you're talking about the vines. There's two types of pruning that I learned about. There's probably more, but when it comes to grapes, there's two of them. Uh, There's a thinning and then there's a pinching. A thinning, it usually happens in the winter months or in the summer months. It's when the bush just gets way crazy and they go through and they have to take out some of these branches. The branches are healthy. They're doing their job. They want to grow. They want to produce fruit. But when a vine has too many branches, it takes up too much energy and the fruit is weak. So they come along, the, the, the vine dresser, the gardener, the, the trimmer guy person, he comes along and he thins out the tree so that only a few remain that then can be fruitful. The certainty in this is that we all have vines that need to be pruned. We all need some thinning in our lives. We all overcommit and you feel it around now if you have finals or you feel it when there's a big project due at work. We all overcommit. But really, we're not overcommitting. We're just on Facebook a lot. We're on Instagram, Snapchat. What else is there now? Uh, there's Twitter. I thought that was dying. But, and then you have all of your practices. You have all of your friend groups. You have all of your TV shows you have to watch that are DVR'd because you didn't have time to watch them earlier. And then you have all the other commitments that you're supposed to do. And pretty soon, if you look at yourself as a branch or a vine, you're way overgrown and you need to be snipped off. It's not that some of those things are bad. Some of those things are fun. Some of them just need to be cut off a little bit. Maybe you need some thinning in your life. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I, I, other areas in my life, my relationships, my face-to-face relationships are lacking because I'm too busy doing this. Or maybe you have too many commitments that you can't get involved in your small group. At Ballard, we call them gathering groups. And you're overcommitting. You can't get involved in community. You're not rooted. Maybe you're missing out on times with Christ because you're so busy doing anything else that you can't turn your mind off and focus. Maybe you need some thinning. Maybe your branch is way overgrown. The other one is pinching. The pinching one is the one that really is frustrating to all of us. I've experienced, I know you've experienced it. Pinching is something that the the vine dresser does when he wants to slow things down. We don't do well with slowing down, right? I don't want to go slow. I want to go fast, like Ricky Bobby. We got to go fast. (laughs) We got, but slowing down, sometimes the branch can get so fast that it can grow too quick and the fruit will be damaged or weak. And so the gardener comes along and she pinches the vine a little bit and slows it down so that it'll produce better fruit. But it's frustrating. If you're ever in that time of waiting, it is so frustrating because you see everyone around you and they're succeeding and they're going quickly. They're on the fast track and you're left not even at the starting gate yet. If you're watching news right now, if you're watching uh, any kind of sports things, you have the draft and so you have 21-year-olds who are signing contracts for millions and millions of dollars and you're left making how much? And how old are you? Or if you're a business person, 
you, you, your business has been struggling for a couple of years and you're making ends meet, but it's not reaching its full potential yet. Yet this person over here comes along and he's got a startup and, and they're firing away and they are now going public and they've only been here for three months. How is that happening? And I'm still back here in my garage trying to make this work out. Or maybe you're sitting back and wondering, how come that relationship is happening? And they're on their way to marriage. And I'm sitting here single. Where's mine? Or maybe you're in a relationship. Perhaps you're married and you're wondering why they get to have kids. And you can't. And you want to hurry this process. You want to do everything you can do to make it go quickly. So you start doing things on your own, right? You start doing things on your own power. You try to adopt their time scale to you and you get to this thing called comparison and now you're cranky, you're upset, you're worried. Maybe you've missed your boat. You were up in the middle of the night because you can't sleep because you think that you've done something wrong. But could it be this? Could it be that God is pinching it's not because he's mad at you. It's not because you've done anything wrong. He's pinching because healthy growth is what he's looking for. Because the 21-year-old who signs the, uh, the contract for millions and millions of dollars is going to bonk out his second year in the league. The relationship that's on the fast track is going to hit a lot of rocks because they missed a lot of things along the way. Perhaps, maybe they won't, but perhaps they do. The business that went public in two, in two months is going to have a lot of problems because the structure's not there to sustain that kind of growth. When you do growth on your own, when you try and speed things up on your time scale, what happens? You fail because it's your time scale. But the vine dresser pinches, slows things down, wants you to be ready to grow rather than just to have you grow out of control. We see this in scripture. There was that man, Abraham, that God said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Look at the stars, that's gonna be your family. Look at the sand, that's gonna be your family. Did he have a kid the next year? No, it was a long time. Took matters into his own hands, made a mess. God still kept his promise, but it wasn't immediately. Moses took him 80 years to do 40 years of work. 80 years to do 40 years of work. Tells us something. God doesn't really care about efficiency. He's taking his time. 80 years, 40 years of work. David ran for his life most of his life before he was ever a king. Paul, he's gonna go teach the Gentiles. God says, slow down, you have to learn some things. Puts him away, you can read about an ax. He gets mentored and now, and then it takes time and then soon, very soon, he starts doing his work and fruit starts coming. Could it be that your life, where you find yourself waiting, God is saying, I'm pinching you, I'm pinching this back a little bit so that you'll bear better fruit. For four years, Carrie and I sat, five years, sat in our living room wondering how God is going to use us. We sat in that waiting period. Her licensing was taking a long time. I couldn't find a steady job. What is going on, Lord? We feel that we're called. We've had people pray over us, and they've said these words. What is happening? We were being pinched. It hurts. 
It's terrible. It's not, it's not comfortable, but it's good. When we were in that time for five years, the first five years of our marriage, you're supposed to be this wedded bliss. Everyone's going to Europe, and we're sitting there going, what are we doing? What did we do wrong was a question. You didn't do anything wrong. You find yourself in, in a part of your, of your life where you feel that God is telling you to wait. You didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just being told to hold off. You want good fruit. Every vine, every branch, its whole goal is to produce good fruit that will end up making a beautiful bottle of wine if we're talking about grapes. Our temptation is to think we did something wrong, but here's what Jesus says in verse three. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. You didn't do anything wrong. And when he says clean, there was this, this way that they would go about, they still do it today, they would go and they would examine every single branch on the vine and they would wash it. They would run water, water over it because there's things like bugs and there's things like funguses, there's things that hurt the fruit and they would clean it. It's the same word that Jesus used when he washed the feet. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is caring for you in this time. You're being molded, you're being crafted, you're being shaped into something that was going to bear fruit. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. He's speaking to them life. He's taught them all along. He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. He said in chapter 14, he is the I am. He's the only one that can bring this source. And now, now he's saying, I'm the vine. I'm the one that brings life to the branches. My dad, he's the gardener. And he's pinching you here. He's slowing you down so you don't grow too quickly. But don't worry, you are already clean. We like to do things on our own time and our own strength. And Jesus is telling his disciples, at least here, slow down, rely on my teachings, follow me in this. I'm the vine, you are the branches. And then he says in verse four, remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. When someone says something to me and they use the same word a number of times, I start listening. When Carrie starts repeating herself, it means I missed it and I need to start paying attention to what's happening. Jesus, in seven verses, says the word remain 11 times. You think he's got a point here? Remain. Stop, slow down, remain, stick with me. The word remain, uh, in your Bible or in another translation, it might read like it says abide. The, it means abide, it re means remain, but it comes from this Greek word meno, M-E-N-O. And the underlying meaning of meno and the way that it's used here is an ongoing practice that never ceases. Remain, keep remaining, it's an ongoing verb. It's an ongoing action. What it means is to constantly remain at home with Jesus. Abide comes from the word abode. It's your home, constantly at home with Jesus. When you're at home, are you comfortable? Yes, I hope so. When someone comes into your home and, so, and you say, make yourself at home, what's that usually mean? Take off your shoes, put your feet on the table. There's stuff in the fridge, and if you're lucky, there's some stuff in the pantry. Get whatever you want. Make yourself at home. 
What's Jesus saying here? There's going to be pruning. The call for us, the second C, is that we remain. Because the temptation is to go and do things on your own, on your own strength. And what he says is, no, chill out, take a spell, remain in me. How do we remain? Paul says it this way. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean that every two seconds we have to stop, kneel, and say this eloquent prayer. But one of the ways we remain is constantly remaining in touch with Jesus. Pray. There's this thing called breath prayers that has done a load for what I go through. Lord, be with me right now. Lord, I need your peace right now. Lord, give me your words. Lord, I pray for that person. I don't know what they're going through. Little tiny breath prayers. It helps me remain in the situation. It sounds a bit weird. It sounds like it's a bit unearthly, but it's a way that Paul says to pray without ceasing and constantly remain in touch. It's called the art of remaining in the vine. It's the way that we stay at home. And when we think of this kind of home, we think of a place of peace, rest, intimacy, grace, a place where we turn towards when we're at the most difficult points in our lives. And when you're being pinched, you need those places where you're safe. If you're being told to wait, you need to remain It means a constant walk with Jesus. In verse five, Jesus says this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that has been thrown away and withers. Branches then are then picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Here's the temptation that we have. When you're being pinched and told to wait, the temptation is to say, Jesus, You listen to me. I've said that to him. It was weird. (laughs) You listen to me. I'm the vine. Jesus, you're the branch. You do what I want to do, and then we'll be cool, all right? That doesn't work. We exist for him. He doesn't exist for us. And the temptation is to get out of the remaining thing. And when we do that, everything that we do is on our own power, on our own strength, on our own authority. It doesn't come from the vine. It comes from the branch. And we lose the sap really, really quickly. We'll die. It won't last Paul calls it uh, a, a not a firm foundation. He says in, in second, or second, First Corinthians 3, you can lay a foundation on anything, but if it's not laid on Christ, it's going to burn up. It says you can make it out of gold, you can make it out of silver, you can make it out of wood, hay, or straw, or costly stones. If it's not made our foundation, if it doesn't come from Jesus, it's not going to last. So when we don't remain and we say to Jesus, I'm the vine, Jesus, you're the branch. I'm gonna go ahead and speed up this process. I'm tired of being pinched right here. Whatever we do, it might look good for a season. It might produce tons of fruit for a little while, but it won't last. The goal of the vine is to produce ongoing fruit. It's to produce fruit that makes fruit ever, or produce a vine that gives fruit season after season after season after season, even in the winter times. I went on a walk with Richard and Donna in, in the forest, which is not like me. 
I'm not very outdoorsy. And so they strapped snowshoes on my feet. Uh, it was really cool. I walked with spikes on, which was fun. Uh, but we went for this walk up into the trees. It was snowing. I was in a snow globe. It was up at the, at the pass. Donna, is uh, Richard's wife, is a, is a forest guide. And she's telling me all about these trees. And the trees that stopped, they look like they stopped growing. It almost looked like they're dead. There's no movement. Nothing's happened to them. But she's telling me that all of this growth is happening internally within the tree. And all of this growth is happening underground. Roots are being formed. They're getting stronger, longer, deeper. But when you look at it, it's wintertime. Nothing's growing. If you remain in the vine, you'll be fruitful even in the winter times. How do you know someone's remaining? Because there's constantly growth season in and season out. It might not be stuff that you see. It might not be able to pick up, uh, pick a vine and look at the apple or the cherry or whatever. It might not be all the stuff that you see, but there's growth internally. There's growth deep down into the roots. There's health happening. When someone is remaining, when someone's at home with Jesus, not just on Sundays, when someone's at home with Jesus in and out of their day, at the bus stop, in that annoying meeting that you're going to have, in the middle of finals, when you're constantly remaining at home with Christ, there will be growth. There will be pruning and there will be growth. And in this, there's the last C. We have confidence. When a gardener, when they plant, there's a vision for grapes. The grapes are going to come. And then there's a process that the grapes go to, go through. Eventually, for these grapes Jesus was talking about, they will be made into a wine. Wine was a symbol. Grapes were the symbol of Israel. It meant celebration and blessing. Jesus shows up to a party, and one of his first miracles in John is making wine, celebration, joy, fulfillment. This is what he was doing there. And so these grapes have a goal to be wine. Now look here in verse 11. We didn't read it, but verse 11. Jesus is telling them all of this so that their joy may be complete. That joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. What's the point of all this pruning? We're afraid of this passage, right? Because it means cutting and burning and throwing away. But there's a point to this. If we were supposed to be afraid here, would this verse be at the end of it? I'm telling you all of this, Jesus says, so that you may have joy and that joy may be complete. Wine was a time to celebrate. Celebrate the joy of what God has given them. So if Jesus is the vine and we're the branches and we're producing fruit, the fruit that we get is eventually going to be bottled up and made into a fine bottle of wine. It takes three years for a vine to grow and produce enough fruit for there to be wine. Three years. Jesus is leaving his disciples. Someone has left. They don't know what's going to happen. And he says to them, I'm the vine, you're the branches. How long had Jesus been with them at this point? Three years. He's saying, you're about to produce some fruit. And I'm going to use you in this. It might seem like we've been holding you back, but you're going to produce fruit here. It's time for you to bloom. It's time for you to start your process of making wine. 
those grapes will be taken out, they'll be bottled, they'll be put on a shelf, and then years later, there will be poured into a glass for someone to enjoy and to celebrate. But here's what happens. I've said this to my mentors, and I've heard it said to me. We look at our lives and we start talking these words and we're using phrases, but we don't use the phrase of pruning, thinning, and pinching. I said it when we were going through it. I've said it even, even after those five years. And what I want to say and what was said to me was you're going through this process the master, the gardener is pinching and pruning you and you know what this looks like and you're all, we're all worried about what's going to happen, that it's not going fast enough, but you know what's happening? God is making a beautiful bottle of wine with your life and it might look like it's taking a long time and what's amazing is that some of us are at the end of that process and we can look back at the last season in our life and say, wow, there is a lot of fruit right there. There's a lot of wine to be celebrated. Nine years it takes for, a, for wine to be what it is, for a decent bottle of wine. Nine years. Some of us are coming to the end of our season and we see this wine and go, wow, God, look what you've done. Look what, it, look what you've done in this. It was, I waited and I remained and the fruit that came from that season is beautiful. God, thank you. Some of us are in the bottling phase. Some of you are in the pinching phase. Some of you are in the thinning phase. Some of you are in the phase where you're just, you're, you're bearing fruit left and right. We're all somewhere along that process. We're all somewhere along in that phase. But I'm telling you this, that God is the gardener. And no matter where you are in that phase, his goal is to bring fruit to your life. There's some things that we can't control in this. We can't control timing. You're going to wait. Our efficiency models are different from God's. You, can't, you don't know the scope of the pruning. You don't know what things might God have you leave behind. You don't know that. And we don't know, we don't know the, the, what the fruitfulness will actually be. We don't know how large this, uh, this fruit season will come. All of that less leaves in God's hands. It's his prerogative. All we do, all that we're called to is remain. And we have the confidence that that fruit will come in time. There's another phase that goes through this. Throughout the whole process, maybe you find yourself in a place where you feel that you have been cut off and thrown to the ground and you are going to be thrown into the fire. Maybe you say, I haven't bore fruit in years I look at this and I, I've been here for three years and nothing's happened. Maybe you've been here for nine and nothing's happened. Maybe it's been longer than that and you haven't seen fruit. The promise is still the same. If you remain, you will bear fruit. There's a process in pruning. It's called grafting. Paul talks about this later in his letters that we've been grafted in. Uh, it, it, from time to time, what would happen was the gardeners would come along and they'd take the head of the vine and they would chop it off. And in that, they would also put a little, uh, a little slash at the base of the plant. And this would be, uh, it was called weeping and bleeding the vine. Then at that cut, 
They would make a cross cut right in the middle of the vine in the trunk. They would take a piece of another plant and they would stick it right in the middle of that cross. And then they would wrap it. They would wrap it tight. And then the, the, when they cut off the top of the head of the vine, the sap would go and it would feed that little piece that's been grafted in. And then in a couple of years, that little piece would bear fruit. Some of you feel like you've been cut off. You're on the ground. You're not doing anything. It's been years. Maybe you're in the process where God is saying, remain in me, join my story here. Maybe you've been trying for way too long on your own part. And God is saying, if you want to do this, if you want to bear fruit, you're going to have to join my story. It's kind of weird that it's in the shape of a cross, right? Right in the middle of the cross, there's you. And if we remain there, eventually fruit will come. We think we can grow and produce fruit on our own, in our own time, in our own way, in our own strength. You can't. We always have to go back to the source, where it comes from. And so every one of us here who has said that we want to be in God's story, we find ourselves grafted into the vine of Jesus. And if you remain there, you will bear fruit. But this requires some things from us. It requires us to trust. One of the hardest things to do is to trust God on his timing. It required Carrie and I to sit back and say, we haven't done anything wrong here. We still feel called. God is pruning us. He's taking things away from us that don't need our energies anymore. But there's going to be fruit. All we have to do in that is trust. Tonight, if you find yourself in a place where you are being pruned, may you trust. Maybe you want it right now and you keep heaping the shame on yourself. Perhaps you need to learn the art of patience and that fruit takes time and you can't force it. You need to allow the vine's timing. Or perhaps you're one that the next time you're at a restaurant or the next time you're at home or the next time you're at the grocery store and you see a bottle of wine, maybe you need to be reminded of all the places that God has blessed you. And instead of holding that to yourself, maybe you need to share a little bit of your story and say, God has blessed me here so I can celebrate what God is doing. We find ourselves in the phases, in the seasons, and all that we have to do in the fruitful season, in the not-so-fruitful season, we need to remain. It goes back to when Jesus, in chapter 13, went to hand Judas that piece of bread, and you're all faced with the choice. I'm going to be bound to you. I'm going to be placed in the middle of that story, and I'm going to be wrapped up, and I'm going to remain in you. Or I'm going to do things on my own. I don't want to be a part of this vine anymore. You find yourselves in these seasons, the encouragement that we get here, so that your joy may be complete, is that you remain right in the middle of that vine. Then you will have fruit. Fruit.